Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to episode 123. Tonight's show is brought to you by Apple Bread. That's right, Apple Bread. Because <laughs> Andrea made a bunch of Apple Bread today. It was like the size of a pizza, but probably two and a half inches thick, and most of it's already gone. I mean, it's like half gone. We've eaten the outside part, and like the big, thick center part is still there. It it won't last another 24 hours. Probably not. It's really fucking good. Yeah, so... For all of you bread nerds out there, it was a uh, recipe on King Arthur's website for an apple ala bread. I think I'm saying that right. Those motherfuckers don't miss. And, uh, well, no, in the comments section, people were... Uh, this was after I had started already. I started looking at the comments, and people are like, this is terrible. Like, mine wouldn't rise, all this stuff. So, And, yeah, mine was, like, slow to rise, so I, I worked a little magic on it, kept it warm, folded a few times, did great. And, uh, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Uh, you want to you wanna give me them patrons? So I've got a bread question. Yeah. If, if somebody wanted to get into making bread... Should you just get a bread maker or is there like a pretty, where should you start with bread? I have a suggestion on that. Okay. King Arthur has a beer bread recipe and I would recommend starting there. Well, if you want to make like a yeast bread, like your standard, just a loaf of sandwich. So I don't know anything about bread. Talk to me about bread like I'm five. Okay. So don't put it up your nose, Kenneth. (laughs) The the bread that Matt is talking about rises because it has beer in it that's bubbly. And uh, I think also maybe like some baking powder. And baking powder is also what makes cookies rise. It's what makes uh, muffins rise. Generally uh, speaking, though. Stuff like uh, that. Bread dough, like your traditional your bread, your traditional bread you have like yeast in it, correct? Yeah. So okay. with yeast, the yeast starts eating the starch and at the same time the flour in the bread that is mixed with what if i don't want the yeast to eat uh eat the starch i want the starch oh there's plenty left over okay there's there's a lot still there there's plenty of starch there's plenty of starch to go around so at the same time the flour that's mixed with the liquid uh the flour will start to develop gluten which is what when the yeast starts eating the starch and it farts out these bubbles. The gluten is tough and stretchy, and it traps the bubbles, and the, that's what makes the bread rise. Okay. Yeah, so if you didn't have enough gluten, but you had a bunch of yeast, your bread would just, it would, like, go flat. Yeah, that's why gluten-free bread is pretty difficult to make. But and that's I why mean, it's some people... super gross to eat, right? Yeah, I mean, that's why it, th- there's some good ones out there for sure, and some people are really good at it. I'm not one of those people. I've never even tried, so... The easiest thing to do is just look for really simple, just flour, salt, water. So in theory, there's different modes of making bubbly things, making the bread rise. Yes. And one of them being actually like beer slash carbonation. Yeah. Well, that one also has baking powder in it, which is really the main thing that's going to make that one rise. But it also brings great flavor. I don't. I don't know that I put baking powder in it. Is all-purpose flour? Does it have baking powder in it already? No, it doesn't. I've got I another basic cooking had... question. Okay. Like, I'm pretty good at like grilled cheese and meat rice, but mm-hmm. beyond that, like making cakes and that kind of stuff, like way over my head, no idea. So, super back to basics here. This is now the cooking show slash e-bike show. Yeah, um, <laughs> cooking motos. Like, the difference. What's the basic difference between like cornstarch, baking soda, baking powder, and flour? Okay, so flour is kind of like the base of everything. That's what you add your ingredients to. And it makes, in those things, it makes some gluten. You're not kneading it and you're not letting it like sit and rest. But when you bake flour, it does shit. Yeah, but it does shit because of the, usually it's baking powder. Uh, A baking powder, I won't get into the types of baking powder, but what happens is when there's liquid and baking powder, the baking powder will start to make bubbles. Okay. And baking soda makes bubbles when it's mixed with an acid. Cornstarch is really just a thickener. Okay, because like I've used cornstarch as thickener. a thickener for like so- when I make gravies and stuff, yeah. and that works really good. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, flour can do that, too. You do have to cook flour. Um, the best way to do that is like if you want to thicken, you know... A, a soup. A soup, or if you want to c- thicken uh, like a cheese sauce, like to make macaroni and cheese from scratch, you take equal parts butter and flour. And you cook them in the pan a little bit first. And then you add milk. 
get a roux going. Yeah, and once that starts to thicken up, you just toss a bunch of cheese in there, and you have cheese sauce for mac and cheese. It's really easy. It's essentially like cheese sauce from scratch is like cheese gravy. So generally speaking, flour needs to be like baked slash really cooked, where cornstarch can be used as just a thickener, like kind of on its own, and it's okay? Yeah, I mean, cornstarch starts to thicken when you... When you heat it up. So it has to be cooked a little bit to just activate in general. But flour, you actually have to cook. Like raw flour can have, I think it's like a bacteria or something in it that you shouldn't eat raw. And that's the reason you shouldn't eat raw cookie dough. Because the flour can have mold or spores in it that don't get killed until like a certain temperature. Yeah, I mean it it dies off fast. But you do have to cook raw flour before you eat it. So it's probably not so much the eggs in cookie dough that are going to kill you, even though it could. Yeah, I mean, it can have some salmonella in it for sure. But, you know, it's pretty low risk. Awesome. So that was a good good basic introduction to (laughs) all things cooking and bread. On next week's episode, we're going to talk basic (laughs) finances. (laughs) No. next. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get started in bread making, just look for a simple yeast loaf of bread and just follow the instructions if you screw up the times for like rising and proofing and that stuff it's still gonna be pretty damn good what do you think about what do you think about bread machines are those like sacrilege or can they be okay well they're okay but it's so easy to make yourself if you're just talking about basic basic stuff it's so easy to make yourself i don't feel like it's worth having a bread machine around now like because it's just simple and it's a really big thing, too. But if you were, like, a family of five and you're like, I don't want to buy store-bought bread, and you could just dump all the ingredients in, like, every other day to make, like, sandwiches for you, your spouse, your kids, and whatever, like, it would make a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah. But for just, oh, I want to make some, like, fresh bread, it you don't need that thing fucking sitting around just for that. Yeah. We had one growing up. And we would we would make like uh, cinnamon raisin bread and stuff. It was pretty good. We'd make it like once a week kind of thing, and it was it was pretty cool. And that little machine seemed to do pretty cool work. It would like you know beat the shit out of the dough for like four hours, and then <laughs> and then uh, cook it. That's called kneading. Cool. Yep. No, it's yeah, called and you... it's called beating the shit out of the dough. <laughs> you know, and and yeah, just just start really simple, and then uh, you know if if you're talking about like the stuff I made today has had eggs and sugar in it like the dough did so it's it's a lot harder to handle like it wants to stick to everything like we're 10 minutes in so what would happen if you put all your ingredients on a pan and just put it in the oven probably really bad things right it wouldn't have time to rise if you just lay everything in a pile and put it in there probably not good right well you wouldn't have enough time so the flour has to like mix like once you wet the flour it starts to and start to knead it it makes the gluten so you wouldn't have the gluten there so it wouldn't rise a whole lot i'm pretty stoked about making my own gluten to be honest (laughs) can you put can you put meat in bread that's okay that's what i was about let me i'll we'll wrap this up with my recommendation for your first bread use the king arthur recipe and they have a beer bread recipe and the only tweaks that i would do to it is the following i would pour a little bit of the juice out of like pickled jalapenos the jar of you know jalapeno slices pour a little bit of that juice in I think that's better than using chopped up jalapenos because you get a more even distribution of flavor throughout the bread. And then finally dice some salami and some throw in some shredded cheese and mix it up and use like a hearty beer, you know, like a, a darker lagery type beer, or like a stout or something. So you have that flavor come through in the bread and then you have spice from the jalapenos. You've got salami and you've got cheese and it's in bread already and you just pick it up and eat it and it's amazing. If, you know what I'm if thinking? If you're going to hold on. If you were going to add that kind of thing to a normal loaf, like a yeast bread, you would put it in, like you'd mix your dough, and then once you were, like, once everything was kind of incorporated, then you could put that stuff in there, uh, and, you know, it would it would cook just like everything else. Now, don't get me wrong, like, this is, um, this is kindergarten here, like, I'm going to make just a regular bread first before we're talking about meat and cheese. That's like, you know, your first ride being on, um, yeah. a, on a no, DH bike. And being like, there <laughs> no, you go, not. have fun. Uh, that'd be like sourdough, but let's just, we should just. But you know what? It's an amazing like, invention well. that I'm thinking about right now. That's like <laughs> oh, just God. crazy. Cause I, I was thinking like, well, how could I incorporate a hot dog? And I'm like, well, they, <laughs> they already make that. It's called a corn dog and it's incredible. Anyway, uh, real topics right. slash patrons. All right. 
patron time. All right, at ten dollars a month, we've got Zozo, Zach, Will, Tom P, Todd, Ty, Tennessee, Zach, Taper Bore Pro, Smells Like Sweat and Fear, SCG Shuko, Sam, Ryan, Ride Bikes, Hail Satan, Ray Lowe from the Block, Parker, Nobody Expects the Spanish Inquisition, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dal, MTV Shenanigans, Lloyd, Leland, Kenny's Tiny Erect Dick, Kenny's Kevin's. or Kevin's <laughs> <laughs> Tiny Erect Dick, Kenny Sucks. Ken, Josh, Josh, Jeff, JC, Jara Dix, Jake. I'm tired of these motherfuckers in Slack telling me I'm always in the barbershop. Chief Van ain't about this. Chief Van ain't about this. And then it runs out of room. Green Giant, Gordon, G-Man, Frank, The Tank, uh, F That Guy, Mark, Ezra, Trilla, G, Evan, Eric, Dan, Cam Irish One, Billy, Single Speed, Bill, Bo, Barry McCock and her baggins. <laughs> Alec, AJ, Aaron, Esker Cycles at 1169. We've got Lead Out Sports and Josh from the Intesa at 14 Kangaroo Ears. Dean at 16 and a half. At 20, we got Scott, Poop Wrench, Joe, Brady, Anthony. We've got Harley at 30, Troy at 31, and Six Pack Outdoors at 50. I just want to point oh. out how awesome the. I like, I, I have a sweet spot for like funny names that, you know, are, you know, are mean or dirty or whatever. And Barry McCockiner is just really hilarious because if you read it like Barry, it's like such a normal, <laughs> such a normal first name. And then if you're not like paying attention, like McCockiner, like that's a, <laughs> it's just, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I love it. All right. Um, You've heard it, folks. If you're a patron, choose a silly name. If you're a $10 more patron. We're going to speed run my week. I actually did some stuff, but I'm just going to talk about it quickly because we've got thread talk. So <laughs> we recorded. I didn't do shit. Then we, Saturday morning, I put together the foundation for the shed. So Friday morning, I went to the lumber yard here locally and bought a bunch of stuff. Saturday, I framed up the like all the floor joists and stuff. And then Saturday afternoon, Andrea and I went and picked up another bunch of stuff. We bought like wood. Well, wood. we bought like. 70 two buys and various links and a bunch of plywood and then on sunday i got up and i was supposed to go ride my motorcycle and i was having trouble with my truck battery and then i lined up someone to come pick me up because andrea was going to be gone in her truck and then turns out it was too cold for my moto battery to charge so i put my motorcycle in the house it, it got down to like 14 degrees overnight and my battery was like hey it's too cold for me to charge so i put my moto in the house in front of the fireplace and after a couple of hours it warmed up enough to start charging but during that time i started trying to put flooring down but my dewalt batteries were too cold so i was <laughs> carrying dewalt batteries around in the hoodie pocket man we gotta was we a, gotta work on your battery game for sure that was underneath my overalls so they would be warm enough and then my neighbor came over and was like hey can you help me cut a few pieces of wood and i was like you bet beverly and she let me borrow the battery charger, so I charged my truck battery, and then my moto battery was charged, and all my DeWalt batteries were working, and I got all the flooring laid, and then I went and rode my motorcycle, and then didn't do shit on Monday, didn't do anything yesterday, got up this morning, cleaned up my work area, like, tidied up my desk, swept, or, like, dusted and tidied, and then I uh, rode the trainer for an hour, and now we're sitting here talking about bikes for a little bit instead of bread, so... <laughs> No, let's go back to bread. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, Kenny, what you been up to? I only cool thing I've done is I went to St. George over the weekend. It's been super cold here. It was like, eh, probably upper 30s here, maybe lower 40s on the weekend. But yeah, a solid 10 or 20 degrees warmer in St. George. We had some people lined up to go do a motor ride, but um, everybody got scared and bailed. So I just drove down there by myself and road uh road moto by myself but it was really cool (laughs) i know i think doing stuff solo is pretty fun i mean i like doing stuff alone but sometimes you know on motorcycles and doing difficult trails and going way out in the middle of nowhere is not uh smart so i don't do a whole lot of that i've got a a garmin in reach thing so if the shit really hit the fan assuming that i'm like conscious and can like you know drag drag a stump um drag my stump over to you know, my bag and pull that thing out. I should be able to get a helicopter if I had to. But anyway. Dude, you know what the worst part about wearing a full face is? What's that? When you rip both your hands off, you won't be able to use your teeth to push the button on the inReach. I know. <laughs> It'd be tough. Super tough. So anyway, it was cool. I rode a place called Tokerville Twister, 
and it is in a place, not surprisingly, uh, a town called Tokerville. And cool. you can, if you're bored, you can look on maps and figure stuff out. But like Tokerville and Hurricane, it's pronounced Hurricane, apparently, not Hurricane. Yep. So Tokerville, Hurricane, Virgin, Rockville, uh, like Zion, all those places are kind of semi close to each other. So anyway, that was the area that I was in. So kind of red, literally Red Bull Rampage area, which is really cool. And there's a nice single track. Wait, have you, have you taken the motos out to the rampage zone yet? There are so many rampage zones, to be honest. I think there's like, cool. there's probably four or five retired zones plus like the active one. And when I say active, it's not Most like recent. they tear all the signs down and any kind of structures. They always tear them down every year. But you can, Did it's they very tear apparent. like the jumps down? Like, could you actually go and try to do some of it the couple of rampage sites i've been to over the years there were a few jumps remaining but a lot of the bottom ones like the really easy accessible ones they tore some of those down but some of the upper 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 big shit they left i think it's because there's probably outside of the rampage folks there's three other people dumb enough and skilled enough to actually hit them that they just leave them there plus you'd have to like hike with a bike over your shoulder up like a thousand feet so I don't think, um, you know, the barrier for entry is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Your, your family's not going to stumble across this thing. Uh, anyway, so setting the stage, we're in Red Bull Rampage area, lots of cool, like lower Mesa stuff. And Tokerville Twister just follows the foothills of this one major Mesa. In fact, it's the flying monkey Mesa. It's probably got a more official name, but it's where that, uh, old retired airport slash weird government facility was where they worked on ejection seats and launched monkeys off of the mesa which is pretty cool uh, unless both. you're unless you're a monkey dude can we go on another tangent sure y- you know how there's always like I, I mean maybe how do i put this like you'll see stuff is like not tested on animals and it's like cool but you just knew that you could use that shit because someone else tested it on animals <laughs> like <laughs> like you know, for those of you out there that are, like, bummed about, like, animal testing, like, they probably strapped pigs into car seats and, like, crashed them into walls when they were figuring out seat belts. you know? like Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird deep dark stuff, which we won't uh, probably won't get into. But anyway, yes, you are probably you are you are correct. Anyway, so that's the area that I'm in. It's a really cool single track moto trail. You could ride it on a bike. It would not be a good time at all. But you technically can. You can ride a bicycle, it turns out, on any moto trail that you want to. That's uh, your call. But anyway, single track, it's like pretty solid blue-black trail, but there's definitely a couple of crux sections that are pretty gnarly. And I've ridden it once. I didn't ride like the whole length of it and went at a little slower pace with somebody else. But I was out here solo this time and went at a little faster pace. And there are some sections that are, yeah, probably they're extremely, extremely steep, only one way down. And there's like a mandatory, uh, you know, two, three, four foot drop into like a chute. And on a moto, not that bad. You just kind of have to like, you just commit to it and it goes down at no problem. Uh, It would be a little sketchier on a bicycle for sure, but doable. The problem is, okay, it's all well and good. You can get down that, but uh, it turns out you have to go back up that when you go back the other way, because there is no other way out. There is a mesa, which is sheer (laughs) vertical, and then there is like a ravine. So there's no, a few of them have alt lines, but uh, a lot of them don't have alt lines. There is one way that's been cut to go down and up this thing. And uh, yeah, so it's just an interesting state to be in when you're out there by yourself and you're on a 200 pound motorcycle and the only way out is up and it's kind of crazy. So luckily I made it out. And again, I'm not trying to make this sound like it's the gnarliest thing in the world. Like it's definitely not. And any experienced enduro rider will have no problem doing it, but it's just the realizing, especially if you do, if you go for a section and you don't make it the first shot and you kind of make your way back down backwards slash sliding down slash whatever, (laughs) And then you're sitting at the bottom and you're looking back up at the feature and you're thinking to yourself like, well, uh, I have to make it. There's not another option. I don't have a buddy to, you know, help pull a front wheel over something. You can't, you know, no one human being um, is going to, you're not going to, you can't drag a motorcycle up this thing. Like you have to ride your motorcycle up this feature. So anyway, I like that feeling. Yeah. It's a, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a primal thing where you realize, welp, 
you got to do it. There is no like not doing it. You just have to do it. And it's it's kind of an interesting mental state that it puts you in. I'm not saying it's the smartest thing to do, but it's just kind of a neat kind of a neat thing. It really is. I mean, that's that's a lot how it was like when I shot my elk field dressing it by myself was like that. It's like you just like you have to flip this whatever 600 or 700 pound animal over and cut the legs off the other side or else you, your stuff's going to spoil like you you have to do it. Mhm. Yeah, no, it's 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 just an interesting yeah, it's just such an interesting mindset. And there's plenty of things. It's not just moto or hunting or whatever. There's plenty of other situations you can get yourself into. You know, you could be four wheeling out by yourself and, you know, you slightly slide off of a, of a thing and you got to like stop and figure it out. It's like, okay, I've kind of got one shot at this recovery or whatever it might be. And it's just, it's kind of neat because it puts you, it just puts you when the stakes are a little bit higher. And it's, this is not like, we're not talking a life and death situation here, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could always leave your moto there and walk out, get some help. Yeah. I mean, you could, if you had to, yeah. Like it would have been, uh, you know, it would have been a solid five mile, um, five mile (laughs) walk back to civilization. Yeah. It would have, you wouldn't have died. Doable. Exactly. Right. That's the thing. And I'm sure I could probably call like, um, you could call someone and be like, hey, uh, local PD people, hey, like not a super emergency, but like, is there like a, you know, anyone with a moto who can come out here? I don't know. I'm sure you could figure something out. But anyway, it's just a, it was just an interesting thing. But overall, that's just a few sections. Not a big deal. Made it out. Super fun. Really fun trail. Um, I was trying out the moto with the new 1821 wheel combo. Everything was great. Um, so yeah, anyway, that was my little kind of day trip and it was a lot of fun. I don't have any updates on bike stuff. I'm still getting some suspension retuned. Hopefully I'll have that uh, next week so I can report back more on that. I'm doing a new Levo build for a friend of mine. That'll be kind of a fun project. So uh, once that's more wrapped up, I can give more info on that one. What else is going on? I think that's it. Andrea? Well, to start, I've got exciting Silimo news, and this was kind of, well, so I, uh, if you are on Facebook and you've ever liked just Silimo Trails on Facebook, I made that page a long time ago, and it actually got a pretty good following, uh, and I really just kind of made it as a place, I occasionally put pictures up there when I'd go ride, but I didn't really do a whole lot, you know, I'd answer like trail questions if I could, but you know, I haven't been to Silamo in a very long time. The trail has been in and out of disrepair, but there are a couple of dudes now who are putting on their ultra runners, or at least one of the guys is, um, his name is Rusty, and they've been putting in a ton of trail work out there. They put on some races out there, um, mostly running stuff, but not all. Uh, I think one of the events had a mountain bike like race that you could do along with the running stuff. Yeah, they they've literally leaf blown the almost the entire trail system. And before you get your panties in a wad or your underwear or your g string or whatever you're wearing, you got to think about context. So think about like Memphis. So Memphis, the ground is dirt. Lots of traffic on the trail. It's mostly dirt. It erodes easily. It needs more organic matter wherever it can get it. So you let the leaves fall. You let trail users crush the leaves up underfoot. You get more dirt. It's a good thing. You don't want to leaf blow those trails. Silamo gets like, I don't know how many people, but not enough people to crush the leaves down. They stay fluffy. You can barely see where the trails are. Is some dirt made of leaves? Yeah, I mean, the leaves break down. I never thought about it. Where do the leaves dirt. go? Jesus Christ, Kenny. <laughs> You're learning. You, you are a kindergartner today, right? So I am. This is crazy. I just have all these the or- basic life questions. Where do the leaves go? The organic material falls, and then through both mechanical and... With Chemical that- decomposition? Yeah. So Wait, the wheels dirt is organic? Be- what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I right, thought Kenny. dirt. I thought dirt was like sand and rocks and some poop. I mean, and there's, leaves there's and poop shit in there and leaves. Yeah, <laughs> it's all organic stuff. And why is there Silimo, so much stuff in dirt? You don't get the mechanical breakdown of the leaves. They stay there a very long time. They pile up. It's it's really when there's a ton of leaves on the trail, it's really difficult to ride. And so for that, you get even fewer users because the trail is 
I don't want to say it's not difficult from a technical standpoint. It's difficult in that you don't see the trail. You also don't see like a six inch tall rock that you're going to cram your front wheel into. So it's pretty dangerous. I've ridden Silamo and it's ultra leafy and it's uh, not a good time. It's dicey. Yeah. So these guys have leaf blown the trail. 50, it's 50 miles of trail. I don't know if they've taken a leaf blower over, over every inch of it, but they've done the bad spots. So... I just posted. I assume that was on, a Dewalt uh, leaf blower with one battery. I don't know. Yeah, but, they just had to keep it warm. <laughs> but I just, I, I just asked someone local there, like if he wanted to take over the Facebook page, because I, there people ask trail questions, like they message it, and they're like, "Hey, who, who runs this thing? You know, who can you give me trail updates, whatever?" And I can't do that, so I went to a, a different, like a trail cleaner for Silmo Facebook page, and I posted on there, "Hey, does someone here want to take this over? Because I'm." just really out of touch and yeah this guy stepped up and he's taking over the facebook page so it'll probably have more updates on it i mean i told him i was like you don't have to do anything but you know it'd be nice if someone could just answer questions about trail conditions when people message so yeah like that's really cool they're doing really cool stuff out there i'm excited to go and ride the trails at some point so, you know, maybe a springtime trip out there would be in order. And I've got a coworker in Bentonville now, so... Yeah, Bentonville's different. Who, like, that land, obviously there's, I know it's intermixed with a lot of private stuff that's in there, but the vast majority of it, who runs it? Is it, like, BLM? Is it... It's Forest Service. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, so that's that's really exciting. I might, you know, the guy puts on some races out there, and he's kind of talked about putting on more mountain bike stuff out there. I might, you know, have, like, a special JRE episode where I just interview him because, I mean, it's, it's such an awesome trail system, and I'm so excited that people are caring about it and giving it regular maintenance, cutting trees, blowing leaves. He said he wants to put up more signage, which is great. So, yeah, I think that's really cool. But moving on to stuff that I've done, I went to a CrossFit class and used a rowing machine for the first time. Thought it was pretty cool. Uh, so if you've got a rowing machine that you want to unload. Yeah, it'd be cool to have a rowing machine at the house. But If I, you sell rowing machines and you want to be the JRA title sponsor for like four months. Yeah. Yeah, I went to CrossFit. I have done a lot of baking and cooking. I rode the trainer today for about half an hour, did a few intervals. Uh, that's really about it, but we should probably move on to more bike stuff. All right. Um, I think one of the most shocking things that you'll see is that you can now buy one, get one Kona full suspension bikes. Yeah. That's that's really the state of the industry we're seeing right yeah, now. Yeah, buy one, get one free full suspension mountain bikes from Kona. That's pretty nuts. Yep. What other new shit? Do you guys want to talk about uh, Gorilla Gravity? Nope. Okay. Because I'm going to bid on some of that stuff. I mean, I guess the auction is going to happen before this show goes live, but Gorilla Gravity is auctioning off all their equipment on the day before we record next. So I'm going to try to buy some of it. Are you trying to buy like a CNC machine for your new shed? Nope. They are selling everything. Like they have a cart stacked up with 25 DeWalt you know, like the little job site boxes that you would put like screws and stuff in mm-hmm. and the pictures aren't really good, but you can zoom in and there's like an entire one of M12 bolts, an entire one of M10 and it's just hardware and like the opening bit on it is really cheap and like huge toolboxes and it's like these dudes clocked out for their last day of work and just walked off. It they'll, they, They're listing like a tool station or like a workstation and there's still like alcohol squirt bottle like a squirt bottle loaded up with alcohol and soapy water and a pair of scissors and a pair a roll of tape and miscellaneous screwdrivers and crescent wrenches hanging on the pegboard still it's so wild some of the big stuff that's listed in this article that i'm looking at five late model haas machining centers two mold trimming routers a finishing department equipped with powder coating machinery and ovens, an extensive array of support equipment from compressors and chillers to cranes, tools, warehouse equipment, computer tablets, office furniture. So, yeah, that's and lots of other stuff. But yeah, know. and it's to the point where like you like what's on these shelves. Cool. If you buy these shelves, you have to take all this shit. You want any <laughs> of this shit, you have to take the shelves. It's it's nutters. And do they have a wind tunnel? Nope. Oh. They got some carbon rim molds, though. I don't want those. But <laughs> Other industry news. We've got 
United Wheels is moving Niner bikes from Fort Collins to Ohio. That looks like a real promising move. I mean, yeah, it's definitely I mean, going to be a lower worked, overhead. Nobody worked there anyway. And then also it means that anyone that did semi-remain at that office, even though you couldn't actually call it office for the past probably two years, because I've tried, um, and nobody at United Wheels knows anything about Niner, that they don't realize that they own that brand, which is also <laughs> insane. Because I've talked to multiple people at, I've called every one of their brands asking questions about things. I'm like, you know, I'm making it up. I can't remember what one of their brands is, but. Huffy? Sure. I called Huffy, like for real. I called Huffy. I called one of their other not quite Huffy brands. I called them and I'm like, hey, trying to get in contact with Niner. And they're like, oh yeah, I, th- I think we maybe have a phone number of someone over there. I'm like, cool. And like, it doesn't go anywhere. And I call them back like, hey, that didn't work. What did I do? And they're like, oh, we don't really know. Like, <laughs> okay, cool. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. So I feel very sorry for anybody that needs any kind of Niner support because I tried extensively for many, 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 many hours trying to call them about things and nothing. And that was over the past two years. So, hmm, maybe there were some people, maybe someone can chime in. Maybe there were a few people working at that Fort Collins field office or something, but it sounds like they unfortunately probably don't have jobs anymore. Uh, In this article on Bicycle Retailer, it says that, this is the quote from United Wheels, says, this integration will include a reorganization within the Niner business, and we will also be exploring potential redeployment opportunities within the company. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't sound good. Yeah. Not going to lie. We are committed to collaborating closely with each employee to identify opportunities and provide support during this transition. (laughs) Hey, Mr. Employee number 10, uh, we do not have any opportunities for you. That is all. (laughs) You want to move to Ohio from Fort Collins? We're giving you the opportunity to become a customer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ohio's pretty cool, but uh, Fort Collins might be cooler. Hey, do you want to live where trains derail? and kill lots of things, join our team in Ohio. (laughs) And I know that there's real people that work at Niner, and there are true humans out there that are fellow riders that are being infected by this and being impacted by this change. And while that's not something that's lighthearted and to be made fun of, because someone losing their job in this tumultuous time in the industry is never funny, Ohio fucking sucks. So, yes, it's funny. (laughs) Uh, We don't have to talk about them. Okay. We should talk about that. This is a kind of kind of a neat little gadget. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much I would use this because I'm so I've bled so many fucking brakes. But Bitch, quit bragging. I'm so good at bleeding brakes. I don't need the red side hydraulic syringe holder. It's a little. It looks like 3D printed plastic, and it just kind of elastic bungees around a fork leg, and then has another. It looks like the uh, type of little rubber loop that would hold your rear light on. 100% what that is. It it honestly, this looks like they took a tire lever. Like someone jerry-rigged a tire lever to do this, and they're like, hey, we should just 3D print this in a slightly better shape, and it'll work great. So yeah, it holds your lower syringe in an upright position for bleeding a brake, which is pretty cool. I mean... Where's their fucking bleed block? <laughs> they don't have one in there. In this photo, they got the pads in and no bleed block. Yeah, shouldn't do that. I mean, it's so quick to take brake pads out. Take your brake pads out when you bleed a brake so you don't fuck your pads up. But, you know, if... Well, it's also so you get the right amount of fluid in the system. That's like the other 50% of that yeah, equation. Yeah, exactly. So use a bleed block. Don't do like this thing does. But it, it's pretty neat. I mean, I could definitely, um, especially for like home mechanics, I think this would be a really cool thing. I think in a shop, I might not do this because just the SRAM, like the bleeding edge thing is so quick and easy to use. And you really are just like pushing fluid back and forth to that syringe relatively quickly and then disconnecting it before you finish doing a you know, the rest of the bleed, like your lever bleed at the top. So, uh, I mean, if you're just a fast working shop mechanic, you might not take the time to do this, but I can definitely see the use for, you know, a, a home mechanic. And I'll say this, I don't know that I need one, but of all the stupid tools that you can buy that are overpriced and bullshitty and not really necessary, this one's actually, f- I don't know how much it costs, does it say? But this, uh, I mean, it's, it's a piece cheap. of plastic. It can't be that expensive. Yeah, it's- and it's there's one for the brake lever also, which I actually, I, I feel like that one would be a little bit more helpful because that flops around. It wants to flop around and shit. 
But my point is, of all the hinky, gimmicky shit you can buy that is a tool that you don't really need, this one's, if you feel like you need this and it makes keeping your safety equipment in good working order better, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, so the handlebar it. mount only is $16. You can get, for $35, your handlebar and fork mount. Uh, let's see. And then you can get one that has extra mounts for different size brake uh, syringes, bleeding syringes, for $50. That one has two handlebar mounts plus one fork lower mount. Yeah, I mean... Nothing for the rear brake yet, but that would be a lot harder because that's a, a not a standard shape or size, really. Oh, yeah, that one would be really easy. Okay. You would just take one of the bolts out, and it would it would go under the caliper bolt. Sure. Super easy. I'm making that up. I don't know. <laughs> um, so there you go. There's that. Do we want to talk about what other bike stuff are we going to talk about? Uh, I've got one. Go. So this is pink bike related. Oh, God. But I think it's big enough that um, we should talk about it. So Ooh. Mike Levy is leaving Pinkbike. Oh. And, and he was kind of like the face of Pinkbike for many, many, many years. Where was that announced? On Pinkbike. I did, was it today? I didn't look uh, at Pinkbike December 6th. I definitely didn't so look at it on December 6th. About a week ago. We didn't talk about this last episode, did we? Shoot. Nope. nope. Okay. Because that would have been last Wednesday. Does it say why he's leaving? Mm, not really. It's kind of kind of weird. I think he was just uh, just wants to do something different. Who knows? Obviously, Pinkbike's gone through some ownership changes, right? It's owned by outside. Yeah. So maybe maybe something to do with that and the direction they're going. I mean, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think it's some conjecture. Maybe there's some, um, yeah, maybe there's some other stuff out there. But I don't know. I've always liked the guy. He seemed like he is well-spoken and has a lot of good insight on the industry and is a good writer and, you know, puts together good reviews and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if he's really just like a presenter or if he really is coming up with a whole bunch of content and like steering these, you know, if they do head-to-head uh head-to-head stuff where they're comparing a bunch of bikes is he the one that's dude i i don't know it seemed like he was pretty integral to the thing but maybe there were a lot of behind the scenes people that were doing a lot more i'm not sure but either way kind of kind of crazy he's definitely a a big name in the industry Ooh, i have a a really good theory here if you want to hear it sure uh pink bike acquired or outside acquired pink bike in august of 2022 so this timing does really work out to be like a roughly one-year transition exit plan. Yeah, could be. So, again, heavy speculation, but the timing's right. Could be. Maybe he actually talks about it in that podcast that's linked to that article. He talks about aliens. Oh, so. <laughs> aliens are cool. Yeah, I, I, have not, I have not listened to that podcast. Maybe I should um, listen to it. So, can you guys think of anything that has been acquired by a bigger company that then became better? No. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. I, There's got, I mean, there might while, be there a few is. things. Zips. So even in the cycling industry, let's 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 think here for a minute. So we have uh, Gary Fisher bought by Trek and run into the ground. That's just one that randomly came off of the top of my head. Uh, Klein also Lamont. by Trek and Avid run into the ground. Avid was bought by was bought by SRAM. Avid was bought by SRAM and. Uh, did they get worse? I think they really just kind of phased out. I don't think they got better or worse under SRAM's ownership. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, as long as it said Avid on it, it was never very good. They yeah. lost. I think they lost a little bit. They had some cool stuff. You know, they had some nice V-brakes and they had some really bougie stuff way back in the day, like the Arch Supremes and all that crazy stuff. They had some decent levers. Obviously, they were kind of one of the first mainstream brands with hydro brakes but yeah, that that's a tough call. I don't. I wouldn't call that one really good or bad. Any other ones you can think of in the cycling industry specifically? Uh, I mean, I would argue backcountry competitive cyclist. Uh, that got worse. Um, I never really shopped there anyway, so I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like they lost the. They were very focused. It was definitely bougie, and yeah, maybe there was like an opportunity to make more money that they weren't going after. But just as a thing. I think competitive cyclist was pretty pretty good at what they did. Well, didn't Speed Goat become competitive cyclist, or did Speed Goat just fold up? I know nothing about Speed Goat. I'm talking about competitive cyclist being the entity out of Arkansas, which was, hey, we do bougie builds, nice stuff. We have a great website, super yeah, awesome documentation, and like you, like Craig beco- you become you become a customer. 
you fly out here, drive out here, whatever. It's like a very personalized experience. We build your bike and you build trust in us. And then you're probably going to continue to buy bikes from us. It was that model that was really good. Yeah, there was an e-commerce section of it, of course, but I'm talking about the actual experience for the customer. That was in my brain what competitive cyclist was. Yeah, that's true. I guess you just couldn't do the volume like that, you know? Anyway, Uh, the moral of the story is I just, I can't think of a whole lot of companies that have bought smaller companies and then it really became a better thing. I'm sure there's examples and maybe that's homework for all the listeners is, can you think about, uh, is Andrea, is Andrea crying? (laughs) Can you set things up with your internet and you sound like a robot? Oh, nice. (laughs) God, I wish there was a way. Can you hit record? No, I don't think that would work. I wish you could hear yourself because you would also laugh until you tried. <laughs> Is it still still messed up or are we good? It oh, just no, cleaned there up. It went. It went okay. it just... uh, I'm trying to think of other brands that were acquired. And I but that, really that's homework of... for the listeners is I want you to think about, find us a I brand. I bet Tom, Tom P. will have one. Find us a brand that was a good brand to start with and was bought by a bigger company and became bigger and better. Yeah, I think that that is good homework. We'll we'll get some good answers. We have some good listeners out there that will correct, that will add some insight. Speaking of listeners, do you want listener questions? Go. All right. Oh, my God. This is from Dane. Long-time listener, first-time caller. You're emailing in, Dane. Jesus. I'm in the market for a new frame that will be set up single speed 99% of the time. My current single speed is an old-school Niner 1.9 RDO, but I've upgraded components regularly, so I'll be moving the majority of parts over to a new frame. I also have a Revel Ranger, so I'm familiar with how newer Geo modern, or wait, how newer, more modern Geo bikes ride compared to Niner, and I'm looking for something more current. I spent the last 15 years riding much of Colorado and the surrounding states, but recently relocated from the Denver area to upstate New York. So instead of the big climbs, fast, slow descents that we had out west, my home trails are now predominantly tight, twisty, rocky, and rooty, with lots of, um, Andrea was scrolling and it broke my brain, with lots and lots punchy ups and downs. I've had a steel hardtail in the past and I'm wanting to go back to steel to have a little more compliance in the ride. The 1.9 is notoriously stiff, which is now even more painfully apparent on trails that were nowhere that are nowhere near smooth, not to mention the dated Geo. Both the Esker Jaffe and Hey Duke are on my short list of frames. Geo of the two is similar, and as I've, I was wondering if living out west, I would go with the Jaffe without question, but given the East Coast jank that I'm currently riding regularly, I'm torn going with the Hey Duke for the slightly higher bottom bracket, less aggressive head tube, and slightly shorter wheelbase slightly shorter wheelbase may make it a little better for the trails I'm riding. It sounds like Matt has some experience on these frames, though not sure if that is on the older versions or the current 2023 models. Thought one way or the other, Dane and Dane, I've ridden the Gen 1 Hey Duke, which is the same geometry that was brought over from the Advocate Cycles Hey Duke, and I've ridden the Jaffe. There's only been one Jaffe so far. Both were in the steel or magnetic flavor. And before I got to the part of your question where you said you were considered, like, before you laid out the higher BB, et cetera, et cetera, I was already thinking, boy, this guy should buy a Hey Duke. And I say that only because I think the bike's going to be a little bit more fun at slower speeds and all in all fit your riding style out there a little bit more. The The Jaffe does really excel at speed. Like, it's fine going slow, but it's it it's really comfortable when you're ripping on, like, fast, flowy stuff. And not that the Jaffe's bad at that, but you're never going to go those long descents like we have out here where you used to be. So I think I would go with the Duke. Uh, Call Parker. I think you would be... I think there's, like, four or... There's a lot of people that listen that have bought Eskers, and none of them are complaining. So go for it. And if you can find one, and it's cheaper than a Hey Duke the old spot rocker that was steel i had one of those that was a lot of fun it was definitely you know it it wasn't you know hammer you in the ass like the carbon model is so you know if if you look for one of those maybe you know like if the hey duke's out of stock or something maybe check craigslist for a spot rocker uh in steel flavor it was a very nice color blue also. It was Laguna Seca blue. Yeah, that, that was a nice color blue. So that would be another one that, that I'd look at. Just, you know, in case there's one 
banging around in your area, that would be a nice choice also. Oh, the one thing you didn't talk about, but just know that the Hey Duke does have a longer seat tube. I think they have shortened it from what I had to like the newer model, but it's still a longer seat tube than the Jaffe. So if you're like a dropper post whore, then yeah, you probably want to stick with the, the Jaffe just for that. Uh, but if you don't mind super long or not running an ultra long dropper post, then yeah, that's a nice color blue too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the the what do they call it? Bluebird. That's a good color. I have the I have a a bike that's similar to that. I don't I don't think that's the same color as mine. Mine has metal flake in it. But um, yeah, they make a great bike and they're really nice people. So it's a lot of dollars, but. Since not as many people make single speed stuff anymore, definitely sounds like there's still a few kicking around out there. Maybe going custom slash tie might be something to do, but that's a lot of dollars, so I don't want to, I don't want to spend your money. But someone like uh, Walt Works, I think Walt Works is out of Park City, Utah, maybe, and I've got a, a friend who rides one of their bikes, and he's gotten a few from him now, so I think he's a good person to work with. But long wait times, lots of dollars, so. Yeah, just something um, to think about. Yeah, titanium's always like if you just if you want that. This is this is steel. I think he only does steel. Pretty sure. Oh, okay. Uh, same with like forty-four bikes. They make beautiful bikes, but long wait times. Uh, another bike. If you are gonna look at used stuff, the titanium crap. Like a salsa or something. Yeah, but what did I have? The titanium timber jack. Yeah. That is a different geo than the current aluminum timber jack. So that would be an appropriate bike for your riding area and style as well. Cool. I'm going to get to Brady. Yes. Let me scroll down here. Oh, gosh. You're up. All right. From Brady, he says, yo, we... Mindy, best wife ever, just installed some Shimano SLX brakes on my bike to replace the SRAM DB8s that came stock. It's a 2022 Trek Top Fuel 9.7. The levers on the DB8s just didn't do it for me. Reach adjustment was non-existent. After installing the brakes, I went to give them a good and solid squeeze with all the oogadoogas and Shimano brakes. Did the Shimano brake thing for me and for the first time as in fluid started leaking from the caliper pistons. The front brake is the worst of the two with pretty much all the mineral oil draining out into the trash can. One reason I like Shimano mineral oil. I got these from a big box store where it's really easy to return every item and I'll be near one over Christmas so taking them back isn't much of an issue. Minus pulling the internal hose back out, which sucks. Before I return them, is there a fix that you know of? Also, suggestions on what brakes to replace them with if we do return them. I'm looking at some of the SRAM G2s as they fit my price point, approximately $200 per brake set. And before Kenny gives his two cents, I want to stick with either Shimano or SRAM due to them having a monopoly on the market, so replacement parks like parts like pads are easily available. I live in a very rural area where Shimano and SRAM are the only thing that's stocked at the local shops. The majority of my riding is in the upper Midwest with annual trips to Colorado, Winter Park and Grand County, and North Carolina, Pisgah, to visit family. I've always had two piston with no issues and the new SLXs are four piston. Thanks for any info you can give and good luck lion hunting, Andrea. Thank you, Brady. I'm going out tomorrow. So is is Brady suggesting that I would tell him to get something bougie? I think he's thinking you would say TRPs. Oh, well, the cool thing about TRPs is they use Shimano pads for real. Any couple things. One is any brake can have an issue. We like to get we like to throw a lot of shade at a lot of brake manufacturers because it turns out making brakes for a mountain bike is pretty difficult. Like they're going to have issues from time to time. That happens. I like TRPs. They've been really good. I've run Shimanos. They've been good until they're not and the new SRAM stuff seems to be good. So, I think personally if if any one of my friends said, "Hey, I got a Shimano brake or a SRAM brake or a TRP brake," I wouldn't think <laughs> twice about any of those brands. I think they're all good. Kitty, your voice is doing. You sound like Ned from South Park. <laughs> uh, that's weird. Say he's coming right for us. <laughs> it's coming right for us. Oh God! I wish. I hope that picks up on your audacity. I doubt it will, but it would be amazing if it did. No, it definitely doesn't. Like, obviously, it's just <laughs> recording what's in my microphone. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
you were so talking anyway, about. I've got a, I got a couple other questions, and hopefully my voice will get normal for you, so you stop it's, laughing. It's, it's normal again. Okay, excellent. So any break can have a problem. I do see of all the breaks out there on OEM bikes, so brand new out of the box, we probably have the most issues with Shimano's where they have, uh, like you're saying, a broken piston. How that happens, I have zero idea, but we do see it from time to time, both road and mountain. Also, don't be surprised if the bike shop or whoever you bought it from might throw a little shade your way thinking that you broke a piston on one of those because you can very easily break a piston. So if you're fiddling with the thing and you like jam a screwdriver in there to push a piston in, you're going to break it because it's made of ceramic. So just be aware of that. Yeah, the new SRAM stuff is probably the way to go for you if you want to stick with one of those major manufacturers. All the... All the G2 and up stuff has been really good on all the bikes that I've seen and built. So that's my advice. I think all this Ram stuff is totally fine. I really haven't seen, I don't think I've seen a single issue recently out of the super weird, obscure stuff from time to time. Haven't seen any issues out of this Ram stuff since the G2s. It does look like you can purchase a replacement Shimano caliper. For sure. And and really, like if you bought that brake at a store, and you have a proof of purchase, they should warranty it. No, you should return it. Yeah, yeah. Because if they warranty it, you're going to be in limbo. That's true. But you can purchase, uh, I just found on Backcountry, a Shimano XT BRM 8100 disc brake caliper. It's a two-piston brake. You can put, this, even if this isn't the same like exact model, I know you said you have SLX. And I think uh, he's got four-piston. So he's probably yeah. got a 7120. Yeah, I mean, but you could put this on that brake lever and it would work. Sure. I've literally put a new XT caliper on a dual control brake lever and it worked. To so, my knowledge, all SRAM and all Shimano stuff within their own ecosystem, you can run road brake lever, quad piston, nope. mountain, like you nope. freaking name it. And you're good to go. Where is that not no, true? SRAM has a very dedicated chart of what is compatible with what. And there's three levels. There's approved, works with mixed results, and do not use. Okay. Oh, so man, what, I, want, I wish I had that chart. What's the, what's the do not use? Uh, Hydro R can only be ridden with Hydro R. You can't run. Let me. So Shimano, go ham. Like Shimano, you can do whatever you want. Whatever lever, whatever caliper, go nuts. Yeah, yep. and I won't I won't say that that dual control lever gave you the best brake feel, but it made the brake stop the bike. Yeah. So I would call that, you know, based on like SRAM's wording of compatibility, that would be compatible performance may vary. Yeah, but Hydro R is only for itself. Anything else is warning crash hazard. Codes are only supposed to be written with codes or G2s. Yeah, SRAM does have a really good chart that's all color-coded. It's it's, it's awesome. Yeah, so they are pretty picky on what you can use. Obviously, DB8 being mineral oil is going to be a siloed into only, you know, cross-compatible with itself. Um, you know, axis levers, you're only going to be running those with, like, certain certain calipers for mountain. So Yep, so it's... That's pretty cool. Uh, Matt, you should send that chart to Kenny in the chat. You can find it by looking up SRAM brake compatibility chart dot PDF. That will be the best way to find it. But yeah, Brady, uh, you should, yeah, like Matt said, you should probably return those, but there are, you, know, you definitely have the option there for warranty. And if you don't want to go that route, there are, like this caliper I'm looking at now is 68 bucks. So you could... You know, take your chances again with Shimano, or you could go with something else. The G2s, I think, are great. Yeah, Kenny, this is just as handy as that SRAM dub crank and bottom bracket chart where it tells you, like, what you need and what's happy and what's not. Sweet. There you go. And now you have that. I don't know the noise that it makes in chat. Um, yeah, that was uh, pretty accurate. Do we want to wrap it up, or do you want to see this book? The Remember the e-bike question that was a very long question that we didn't go through? I feel like we have time. Uh, this was. Oh, my God. Wait yeah, this was from Reed, and this was actually... So he gives us his entire, basically, every e-bike he's ridden and all of his feedback on all of them. Um, and the, the message was so long that the email, like... If you fill out a form entry on our website, jraShow.com, which everyone should go there and 
send us your questions or comments or whatever, we get that in an email form. This was actually so long that the email cut off like a full paragraph. So I had to go to the website and find the form entry section and uh, and read it. I really don't want to go through all of these, but he does have a really good summary. It was when we were talking about uh, should you get an SL e-bike, should you get a full power e-bike, should you get a mid-power e-bike, and he literally goes through all of this. He's like, you know, if you're, some companies have a full power motor with a small battery, and they call that SL, and that sucks because you can use the battery up really quick. Some of them are super heavy. You know, he he kind of goes through all of it, and I don't want to read it all off on air because it's... Because we already talked about bread for 15 minutes. <laughs> and it's, it's very detailed, but his recommendation... If you're wondering what type of e-bike you should get, based on his very extensive... Kenny, I think he's ridden way more e-bikes than you even have, uh, <laughs> based on this email. He says, I would probably recommend the mid-power e-mountain bikes in the 50 to 60 newton meter range to most people coming off of regular bikes that mostly ride single track. If you'll be doing longer rides, then look at ones with the larger batteries or think about range extenders on lighter bikes. The mid-power e-bikes won't be a drastic change from your regular e-mountain bike and will be easier to manage when transporting them. If your goal is to do as much descending as possible, maybe training for enduro or downhill racing, or you ride with other full-power bikes on fire road climbs, then go for the full-power bikes. And that was his summary. And he, like, he literally goes through all of these bikes that he's ridden and talks about how much power they put out, how large of a battery they have, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's very... Um, it's very thorough, but we would have to have, like, I don't know, an entire, like, listener question section of a full show to uh, read all of this. So thank you, Reed, for your experience and insight. And just a kind of a comment on this, my opinion on this. I think whether people like it or not, we're going to see the most time and effort and money, R&D, all the things in the short term, at least, we're going to see it in e-bikes because there's so much to, like, there's so many different ways you can do it, right? And there's so many new companies entering the market. And anyway, this is where you're going to see a lot of innovation. It's just how it's going to be in the next five plus years. No, I mean, I agree with that. Like, like I don't want to bum people out, but like, this is the world we live in. This is, this is where people's money and time and effort are going to go. So we'll probably talk about it. Matt has been drooling over buying a forbidden Dreadnought SLX that he found on sale on the internet. I don't know what that is. It is a 155 millimeter high pivot bike that comes with a Zeb. Is that an e-bike? No. Ah, no, it's just a high I, pivot bike. He's just, he just has it pulled it up on his computer screen. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the idea of riding something high pivot. And it's really cheap, so I could probably try it for not very many dollars if I didn't like it and sold it in a few months. But Have you ever ridden a high pivot bike? Nope. I think you should probably ride a high pivot bike before you purchase a high pivot bike. That the just only seems downside, like the thing to do. The only downside is they don't pedal good, right? Yeah, and that's I'm interested what I to like know. I'm interested to know what you need is a high pivot bike. That's an e-bike. <laughs> they make those, yeah. don't they? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be a lot of stress through that little upper idler guy. Unless the motor was driven up there what if yeah what if you had a jack shaft some other shit going on some crazy stuff i'm telling you lots of (laughs) lots of opportunities here all right that's all i got awesome shut it down all right thanks for listening have a great week and uh we'll be back next week maybe i'll own a high pivot bike maybe i won't and we still have uh everything on sale on the jra show website and thank you to our listeners who have purchased partnership for community action donation stickers we really appreciate that also kenny your homework Mm -hmm. you you have a week i expect the next show to be kenny's bread review okay well i'm going out of town again this weekend so i'm gonna have to make bread like i guess tomorrow yep get after it i'll send you a recipe or sunday night or monday night or tuesday night yeah no there's only two days in the week for me Two days. That's it. I can't even go down that rabbit hole inside your full face. Uh, <laughs> catch y'all later. Good night. Boom, bye, my lord. Boom, bye, 
Oh, Lord, goodbye, yeah. 